This is Currently Untitled, a podcast whose name we will figure out eventually, with Scott Consinity, Ryan Brules, and myself, Noelle Smithart. Through our guests, interviews, and conversations, we'll explore a wide variety of topics that interest us and try to explore and champion our belief that everyone can be a teacher. In this episode, Scott and I sit at my kitchen table on a Sunday afternoon, and we dive into Scott's origin story, creative and artistic expression, the stories we tell ourselves and how we get to choose our stories and how we show up in the world. We also explore the idea of seeing the beauty inherent in everything and approaching conversation as an opportunity to see that beauty that already exists. If you have any feedback for us, let us know. Welcome to the conversation. Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm well. How are you? We need some uh, good ways that we introduce ourselves uh, yeah. for this. So, welcome to Currently Untitled. <laughs> That's a conversation. We yeah. don't know the name of this podcast or yeah. project yet. That's right. It's going to be brilliant whenever it is. I know it. Who are you? Uh, my name is Scott. Scott uh, Michael Prine Consinity. Which is a whole story. Yeah, that's a, a story there. Uh, and my and name who is. Are you? Yeah. I'm Noelle Smithart. Yeah. And this is episode two of whatever it is that we are doing. Yeah. So what are we doing? We're having conversations. You know, uh, we're we're telling stories. We want to hear people's stories. Uh, that's how it occurs over here. Mm-hmm. Um, I relate to it like I, one of my main ways that I look at reality, I think, is that we are all telling ourselves the stories of our lives all the time. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, stories aren't true or false. They're just things that are, they're tools. Yeah. Uh, and it's beautiful to hear people's tools. You know, that sounds strange, but hear, hear their stories. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I am intrigued by the idea of long form conversation. We were talking mm-hmm. about that a little bit before we hit the record button, but the idea that two people can sit down and the difference when we know we're recording this, that other people may engage with it and listen to it later on. Yeah. Um, and then this curiosity that I believe both of us have, and yeah. Ryan, Ryan Brules as well, who was in episode one. Uh, that we want to hear from other people and learn from them and see exactly how they see the world. Um, I was recently listening to some podcast where they were talking about how the nature of reality is really, from a physics point of view, totally different than the way we perceive it. Mm-hmm. And it just starts to make you think about how even the way we think we are perceiving or experiencing our own life maybe totally different than what we could be experiencing it as. And that's kind of where the, I think stories and the way you talk about it can yeah. impact that. Yeah, that's right. Stories are our filters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think from a human perspective, like all of our experiences of reality, you know, I want to finger quote that really yeah. hard, right? Reality. Uh, are going through our, you know, the strange thing that's inside of our heads that's the most complex piece of equipment that is observable in reality that we can perceive so far you know a brain and everybody's got one and super weird and we know so little about it yeah the scope of things and it in and of itself is a filter you know so Mm -hmm. when we perceive something anything light or you know sensation or whatever it's actually like just information it's going through our brains and our Mm -hmm. brains are processing it and 
the processing isn't uh, objective. Mm-hmm. It isn't accurate. Mm-hmm. It is going through many different filters, you know, about just even, you know, like pain. Some people feel they're more sensitive to pain and some people are less sensitive to pain, for example. But pain is just information, mm-hmm. right? And it's information that usually has uh, is aversive, you know, so we feel pain and we like don't like that, right? But it's actually just information. So our brains are constantly filtering all the information that we have and not just on a sensory level, but through our perception. It's the blue car thing, right? So you buy a blue car. Yeah, you know? and then you see blue, blue cars, cars everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that has a oh, that has another name, something effect. I can't yeah. think of it right now. But um, Andrew Huberman and Huberman Lab talks about pain specifically and how scientifically, like we actually don't have good ways of knowing what other people's pain feels like. So we, you know, you go to the doctor yeah. and you get the little smiley scale. face or a scale of one to yeah. ten, but like one person's six might be someone else's three, might be someone else's ten, yeah. and we really have no. There's no way because it is just a filter right. of perception. Yeah. There's no way to actually know what people's pain feels like. Yeah. And there are you know examples of like where, you know, people's uh, experiences get sort of neglected in the healthcare system because. They, yeah. It is assumed by a by a professional, a doctor, a scientist, whatever. Like, oh, but your pain—that's that's not really pain, right? Just interesting. It's really a, like a tolerance, yeah. Scale, yeah. So, how are you? How are the pain that you are experiencing? How much can you tolerate it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Scott. Yes. First of all, your name. Yeah. Four big words there. <laughs> uh, what What is your name, and where did it come from? Yeah. Gosh. Uh, all right. Yeah. So my. Uh, Scott Michael Perrine is the name that my parents gave me. Mm-hmm. Bless their hearts, and I love them. And uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> when I met my my partner uh, Nicole, we yeah, I think like a month into our relationship, she was reading a book, and the, the, there was this word "consinity" in it, which was she was like, "Wow, I haven't heard this word." This when she looked it up, and uh, she was like, "Have you heard of this word?" And and it means uh, well, you know, I'll save that. All right. So we thought it was cool. We just wrote it down. And then a couple of years later, fast forward, we were looking, we were going to get married and we were trying to decide what to do around our names. And, and her last name had like 14 letters in it. Mm. And, uh, and also I looked at it, the idea of taking names and I, we live in a patriarchy and I, there's, I have lots of thoughts about that. I'm sure that a lot of people do. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're not all bad to be clear. Like I think some people might feel that way, but, uh, it's just, a, well, it's a story yeah. that we all are coexisting inside of, right? Mm-hmm. A filter. Yes. Uh, and taking names, like having a, a, a woman in our society traditionally, like not have their last name and then they take the man's name. It's just a feature of the patriarchy that we live in. And, mm-hmm. Um, I, that just doesn't work for me, mm-hmm. you know. I try and say that as non-judgmentally as possible. It just is not how I want to do it. Um, so her taking my last name didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought about me taking her last name, and and that to me feels reactionary. So yes. it's no less free yes. you know, than the other way. It's just a reaction, right? So mm-hmm. that didn't work either. Uh hyphenation because of the 14th letters uh you know uh, in addition to 
my last name, which has uh, what, six letters, but yeah, just like we can no longer in the future take a test that has us put our names into a box because there's too many letters. My mom went the hyphenated route and not even for a like feminist reason, but she just really liked her family name and she wanted mm. to keep that as part of her history. Yeah. And I, as a, someone who has written her name many, many times, don't recommend a long hyphenated <laughs> name. Priscilla Teresa Campus Smith Hart is a lot to write. Yeah. Every time you write it out. Anyway, I digress. Well, and it's it's super fun. Like, uh, so the you said that she didn't want to lose get the, re- yeah, yeah lose the, that yeah there's a there's a lineage there's something important there and so mm-hmm. that also to me felt really but really. Uh, relevant. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to get rid of uh, anyone's last name. I don't want to do that. I, th- I want there to be a lineage. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so we were trying to decide what to do, and uh, I, at some point, I suggested like, "Hey, well, what about this word? You know, that that you wrote down shortly after we first met, mm-hmm. and we never see it anywhere. So it's not like, uh, you know, like love or or something like that." Uh, but it is a value that that to us really resonated deeply. So we thought about it. And also, also in our society, in our culture, if you look at lots of indigenous cultures and if you, uh, they have naming traditions. And also yeah. in, you know, in non-indigenous cultures as well, there's that point where people, uh, I think of it as an eldering process where they hit a certain point or age where they get to create a new name or discover a name that is more who they are. My parents didn't name me that when I was, you know, coming right out of the womb. Right. You know, right. they didn't know me. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that's okay, you know, but we have to have some referent. A name is a story just like everything else. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to take that name felt really powerful. It mm. felt beautiful. So we both actually, uh, we went to the court, filled out forms and we both legally changed our last names to middle names. Mm. So, uh, and Nicole actually didn't have a middle name, so she actually does have a middle name now. I have two middle names, middle names, Michael Perrine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we both have this last name, and it was, it was such a fascinating experience. It was like we created something new in the universe. There are no other humans who have this thing. Which is so cool. Uh, yeah. yeah it was like founding something, you know? Yeah. Because uh, at some point, there were the first... Smithharts or the first Brules or whatever. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. That absolutely it used to be people didn't have last names, they had job reference or mm-hmm. where they were from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, our last name, Consinity, mm-hmm. means deftly joined, mm. well mixed. Mm. Uh, uh, I like to think it's like, you know, almost like uh, either gears interlocking, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or uh, a really great mixed drink. You know, how the parts just really blend and they, they coexist, they're present, but they, they work really well together. And, you know, what a value, you know, to, to take on and to put out that reminds us of that idea every time we say our name or see our name or write our name down on anything. Uh, it's just a, like a way to live. Absolutely. Know? I've seen you sometimes refer to yourselves as the consinity collective. Yeah. Is that yeah. Uh, redundant at all? In meaning, <laughs> or just uh, or just a fun alliteration. Um, yeah, I don't think of it as redundant. I, I, I mean, part of it is like we made this thing, mm-hmm. 
it's like a group or a community or a tribe and it's just us and we have some kids that also who also have this last name but we also have people that are are very deeply meaningful to us and at, at some point it was like oh we build a relationship with someone and it takes on a, a level of rich meaning mm-hmm. and to us it's like oh they're collected mm-hmm. they're now a part of the consinity their last name isn't this it could be if they want but you know uh we just consider them we don't have any more right to that idea or that name than they do or anybody does. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just a story that we're using because like, that's what we do with stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're using it to kind of gather or collect or uh, create. Uh, you know, tribe seems like a little bit of a hackneyed word or it's maybe a little bit appropriative, but it's, uh, you know, c- to create a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the consinity collective, and you are, you are a part of it. By the Aww. way, I don't know if you know that, Thank but you. you have been collected. I think I feel I, f- I feel that with your family. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, I'm curious. I I know some of your backstory, and that's always the fun and weird thing about yeah. putting this to record, right? Um, but I'm curious about sort of your childhood and growing up in Idaho, and <laughs> how you got to be here and now. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot there, but I'll try to do cliff notes. So I, uh, yeah, did I grew up in rural Idaho, a town of 450 people, uh, and then I think it might have been 451 when I was a kid. It's out on the sign at the edge of town. 451. Yeah, uh, I think might might be like 500 now or something like that. But uh, that's where I grew up, and I, I have parents. I have a brother and a sister, and uh, I it was. It had features that really worked well for me, and then uh, some that really didn't. And, mm-hmm. You know that's okay too. Uh, and features that worked really well were that it was incredibly safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could stay out, and you know we played. I had a little group of friends. There was like you know five or six of us, and we had uh, bikes, BMX bikes, you know, uh, and we would play a game called Town Tag. Where literally, because there's no traffic, right? You know, there right. are barely any stop signs. You know, uh, certainly no lights. <laughs> and we would ride our bikes around town, the whole town, and it was like tag on bikes throughout our entire town. Town tag. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, many people don't have that experience, right? Yeah, it's like my kids today. They can't do that. They were like, stay on the block. You're right. not allowed to cross the street. Yeah. 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 Uh, so there was a wonderful, a delicious freedom in it that I that I miss. And I miss from my kids. Mm-hmm. I, I would love for them to be able to, you know, there was a dump on the edge of town and we would go over there and it's just like old refrigerators and stuff in a pit. Mm-hmm. And we would like pretend there were boats or houses and climb around and it just was fine. You know, everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody's parents. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if I was out late, my parents could call my friend Brian's parents or my friend Ryan's parents or Greg's and be like, hey, have you seen Scott or, uh, or Jake? I feel like I should have mentioned everybody, you know? <laughs> right. The whole, uh, the whole yeah. crew. <laughs> At all. <laughs> and just for um, mm-hmm. chronology, time, understanding yeah. where you were in a place of history, you're mm-hmm. in your mid-40s, yeah? Yeah. So this is like the, the, uh, the late 70s, 80s, early yeah. 90s childhood experience. That's right. I, my, I was born the year Star Wars came out. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. 1977. Yeah. <laughs> Feels important. I was born in 1980. Um, do you consider yourself part of the Oregon Trail generation? I do. Awesome. Me too. Strong, yeah. Strongly. Yeah. A little sliver. A little sliver. Right. Very specific <laughs> and especially in how we have interacted with technology 
I bring that up just because it's that childhood where we were still using phones and there was that sense, you know, landlines and that sense of freedom and community. Because I, I had a similar childhood, even though it's a total, not a small town, yeah. but we still had that, like we could go ride bikes all day and you knew when it started to get dark it was time to go home. Yeah. And all the parents knew where all the kids were and we had the power lines was our place we went and like... You know, it was it, it, very risky. Like at this point, I would be like, oh, our kids really playing over by the power lines? But there would be like an abandoned car and we would yeah, play around it. So, yeah, very, I feel like that's a specific time in history that we grew yeah. up. Yeah. Well, and we have this, there's a compulsion, I think, in the human experience, or at least in our Western cultural experience that I observe, which is to... Uh, is to romanticize our youth, hmm. you know, the, the halcyon days when, and I think it happens for everybody. And it's like, doesn't matter when you were born, you mm-hmm. know, and not everybody. I know some people had awful childhoods. Absolutely. Right. Uh, but there's this tendency to like, look back and think that's when times were better. You know, hmm. there were fewer problems. Right. Yeah, I think it's a whole conversation. Yeah, there. I mean, I, and I, I just real quick, this is an interesting one, but I think even people who had more traumatic childhoods will often say, "Yeah, that childhood helped make me the person I am today." Yeah, in, in a in a specific way, but it's because they were the latchkey kid, or because they, whatever it was, that may have actually been a somewhat traumatic experience for them, but that helped shape them. And it still goes back to kind of a nostalgia, paints that era as a nostalgia because yeah. that's where the grit came from. Right. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think that's true. I, I'm sure there are people who are like, yeah, my childhood sucked and it's not halcyon at all. Yeah. It, yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I want to give also, space for those yes. humans. But on a cultural level, like I, I think that we tend to do that and mm-hmm. uh, it's romanticization. It's kind of a editing of our stories mm. to take out the things that sucked. You know, I think maybe we had less responsibilities. We mm-hmm. weren't as related to the world and the complexities of things. And complexity is a thing that tends to overwhelm humans, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we make things simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole realm of conversation around that, <laughs> too. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I, so we can come back to all sorts of things Beautiful. as well. You're on your bike. Uh, you're a kid. Yeah. 451. Yeah. It was it was beautiful. It was wonderful. Um, <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of stories. But I'll just say that uh, the downside was that there was not a lot of uh, opportunity, mm. uh, a lot of novelty. Uh, there wasn't a, a lot of breadth of ways to 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 be. Mm. Uh, p- I, people as they kind of grew up or we worked during when we were in high school we worked during the summer and things like that and it was like pretty much you worked for a farmer or you didn't you know Mm. that was kind of it Mm -hmm. Uh, and something I guess about me is that when that I I did I went out I picked rock and fields and I picked uh, uh, we call it roguing you pull like wild barley out of Mm. wild oats out of barley and wheat fields to to have their yield be more pure Mm -hmm. you know grain Mm -hmm. Uh, things like that. And it was hard work, man. Yeah. Dirty and hot. And uh, and also, you know, beautiful Italian to me even today. Like one time I almost had heat stroke. And, uh, but it still is great. <laughs> like we used to get so dirty. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a little like a quick vignette. So we're, so you're picking rock is where after they plow a field, mm-hmm. of course, there's, you know, heat and uh, 
freezing over the winter would cause rocks to rise up from the mm. ground. And then you plow the field and there's rocks sitting on top of it. Actually, I, might, I, th- I don't remember. We'd either have to do it before we plowed so it didn't actually damage the plows or maybe after so it doesn't damage the seeds or uh, blah, blah, blah. doesn't matter. So the point was we would literally have a pickup slowly driving in front of, say, you know, me and about four or five other guys. And we'd be all walking along. And it was almost all guys, I think, generally. That's mm-hmm. how it worked. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not to make that division too hard. But that's just how it occurred, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would pick up rocks and throw them in the back of the pickup, you know, For or in the back of a truck. Hours on end Yeah, just, just back and forth yeah. along a field, right? And then to the next field. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then we would all, at the end of the day, hop in the, on the back of the truck and... And uh, ride home. Mm-hmm. And, and dust <laughs> would just be swirling. And I remember one time, so it's just kind of all over you. And one time I like uh, was trying to spit because I got some dust on my mouth. Uh-huh. And I'm in the back of a pickup. I'm not inside of the pickup. And I was probably dehydrated. So my spit was really very viscous. Mm-hmm. And it like <laughs> streaked across the side of my face because the wind's blowing. And then the dust, of course, loves that. It just like whoosh, it's glommed on, and then I had an intensely like black, you know, like just mud. like covered in muddy, <laughs> gooey, mucusy dust, dirt. Uh, <laughs> and that was a vignette from my youth. I'm sure you have a very healthy immune system. Uh, I think so. Dirt I, and bacteria exposure. That's a. It's all you know. It's not bad or good, right? It's there are all these beautiful, weird things like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also was a. Uh, pioneer. I was the first male person to work as a lifeguard at the swimming pool. Hmm. Uh, and when, as soon as I was old enough to do that, I did that instead of <laughs> walking around <laughs> in the truck throwing rocks in it. Uh, you know, which is and and that was it. Was it was there was a gendered thing there. It was like that was what uh, some of the girls did during the summer was worked as lifeguards. And the guys worked in the fields, and I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go do that job instead. Instead of the edge of the pool. I mean, yeah, beautiful setting. Yeah. Um, I, It's interesting, just the place where we, like the pool we went to, definitely had a lot of men, guys, whatever. Lifeguards. Lifeguards, yeah. yeah. So I don't think of that as a gendered thing at all. Right. But apparently in your town it was. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense maybe because of the farming industry that, like, they needed quote unquote, they needed you, the men, whatever. To you. go lift yeah, things. To go yeah. lift the heavy things, move yeah. those rocks. Um, did your family have a farm? We didn't. We were, uh, uh, there were some family, there were, there were farmers or there were people who worked for farmers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, right. Uh, my, uh, my dad started a company and ran a company with a few other guys that, that uh, did chemical application on fields so you know to increase your yield or pesticides things like that and mm-hmm. my dad's amazing he's uh he can go out into a field and just look at it and then be like oh in order to change you increase. know whatever you need to change yeah. you just do this and this and this and it uh, he's uh i think uh and he didn't have any sort any like degree from college or anything like that but i think that uh he could be a chemist you know mm. on some level like he just it's it's amazing it's beautiful uh were but that you, was what he did, yeah. Were your parents from Idaho originally, or did they come from other places? Yeah, they're from Idaho originally okay. as well. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Uh, and for my mom's from it. My dad is actually from Nespers, more or less, but uh, mm-hmm. my mom is from an even smaller town than that. Uh, 
I was moving to the big, the big town. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, So there was that. I I lived there for 18 years. Uh, And then I graduated from high school and I went to college at the University of Idaho in Moscow, Idaho, which to me at the time was a big city. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, that was beautiful. Uh, Gosh, again, halcyon. or such freedom, and I think it has something to do with like responsibility, mm-hmm. you know, uh, obligation. Maybe uh, it's just easy to look back and be like, "I had wild fun times," you know. And now I'm like, "God, I've, I've got it scheduled to the hour," you yeah. know. Yeah. I've got these demands and these demands, and that's that's all okay too. And we get, we get to tell ourselves the story of how that occurs, and I think there's a place for liberation and empowerment around that. But it's easy to look back and be like, "Gosh, the good old days." I had such fun, carefree adventures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have a little bit of an inside track on your youth because I had the opportunity to go to your 20-year high school reunion (laughs) where your band Letters from Traffic played. And I don't remember all of the details, but I want to ask a little bit about this because I found it fascinating at the time. How many people were in your graduating class? Um, You know, I I always say a number and I want to be, this is being recorded for posterity. So I feel like, oh my gosh, people Is it accurate? Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) Well, we'll just, let's put the disclaimer that if we can fact check later and uh, Scott will remember what he needs to remember just to get the point across. I need to go look at the photo. It's, I, I want to say, I always want to say 12, but also it might've been 16. Two of them were foreign exchange students. Ah. So it might've been 14 plus two exchange students, or it might've been 12 plus two uh, exchange students. And where just let's let's think of like the Breakfast Club right now. What yeah. kind of person were you in high school? Because I feel I have this sense oh, that yeah. you were the artist. Yeah, well, I was. I was absolutely the artist. Uh, I mean, that's when I say the the opportunities or uh, models of being were were very few. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really thing. I think I had really had to contend with. Uh, I declared that, uh, like when I think I was 12 years old at a knowledge bowl or maybe 13 or something like that, they, they just interviewed all the people who were like sitting there with buzzers and they were like, who, you know, who are you? And, uh, and I was like, I'm an artist. And I, I didn't know what that meant at the time. It just felt right, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it absolutely, it was a declaration and that's mm. how I tell myself the story of my life is mm-hmm. that I am an artist for sure. Um, I can say that in our social group, uh, we had... Through most of the, what, 12 years, 13 years with, you know, kindergarten mm-hmm, included, mm-hmm. Uh, of my schooling, there were five guys. Um, at times there were four. I think at times there were maybe seven. There were mm-hmm. like some, you know, some Pretty other folks would come in and move through. Yeah. Yeah. But, but generally there were five of us and you can put those five of us on a continuum in all sorts of interesting ways mm-hmm. um, in terms of, uh, I literally had one guy who... Uh, I want to be careful talking about other human beings as Absolutely. well with utter kindness and stuff. Yes. He was brilliant. Mm-hmm. He uh, had had the ability to amass information in his mind. Uh, and he won the National Geography Bee mm-hmm. when we were in, uh, I think, six, seventh grade, seventh grade, sixth grade, something like that. Wow. Uh, yeah, like national, national. competition yeah. for like hitting a buzzer and giving an answer about information. He went on Good Morning America, met Alex Trebek. Wow. Uh, had all of his college uh, paid for for the rest of his life as much as he wanted. And, uh, and, uh, and another guy in the class who was, he was like almost that guy. Like if you put him on a continuum, it was like 
there was him, there was that guy, and then there was a guy who was also brilliant, particularly brilliant at math. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was just this side of, of him. He also had all of his college paid for for the rest of his life, national merit scholar, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, and over here on the other side, we have, I'll just say there was like kind of sports acumen, sure. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a guy who was like the, he was like the captain of the team and he was really great at stuff. And then there was a guy who was just this side of him who was taller. Um, but uh, I don't want to say he was better or worse or anything like that, but. It just, I mean, I don't even, I have no idea how many people were in my high school yeah. graduating class. We were in the hundreds. Such a strange experience. And so to think of the sampling and yeah. know that the same people exist everywhere. And yeah. it kind of goes to a conversation I have with a good friend of mine all the time where we're, we just say, everyone is the same. Hmm. And there, cause there's something to that, that we all are having similar human experiences all the time. And I appreciate your wanting to stay kind in talking about, you know, yeah, what can often be. And, yeah, yeah, we can easily. I love all these people, yeah, too, you know, yeah. but, but we create stories. It's all stories. And yeah. I'm like, oh, there is this continuum, you know. Uh, how I occurred was, like, in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I, I got, like, a, I think a 31 on my ACTs and a uh, 1420 on my SATs. It's funny to say that. I still know it, right? It's yeah. been almost 30 years now. <laughs> But like I, I was just shy of having all my college paid for for the rest of my life. I was mm-hmm. not quite. I was like an honorable mention, right? Merit scholar, national merit scholar, mm-hmm. uh, which is like, you know, not. Which you know, gosh, that would have been great. <laughs> Sorry, right? right. You no, know, I was also like not the basketball person. Like I was kind of not good at it. Uh, I would dribble the ball off my foot and things like that. And, uh. But I was the art guy, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. I was the art and language arts and, like, using words and drawing things. And uh, I remember in th- third grade, we were drawing, like, Woodsy Owl posters. Hmm. Uh, it was just a thing that we did. And I was, like, trying to draw a tree. And everyone would draw trees, like, these kind of, like, triangles or circles or something. And I was like, that's not what a tree looks like. It doesn't make sense to me. And so I was, like, trying to, like, my little tree on a little piece of paper. And I'm, like, trying to draw this detail and just struggling with that and being, like, I have... I, there's something happening over there that it was uh, the representation conversation, you mm-hmm. know, story mm-hmm. was strange for me. And so that was like how I, I think moved into being an artist is like how we see things as an experience. Mm. That's not how the thing is. Mm-hmm. That's an occurring over here. And then we are all filters for that. And this person thinks a tree is a triangle, you know, and that's odd to me. And I when I think we drew the, picture of the battle of 18 war of 1812 or something i remember i drew a cannonball and it was and my my friend uh, ryan came up to me and he was like look at this look at this and he like held up a quarter next to the cannonball and he was like you drew like oh but this is like a perfect circle you know uh-huh. and i was like ah i sure amazing you know uh and there was so you know my brain received a message in that moment that was like i can draw well you know yeah, perfect circle yeah who knew who knows if he hadn't said that if i would do that now, you know? Yeah. But I was the art guy, you know? Uh, and on that, on that continuum, there was a person, there was a, it was a woman, she was a female girl, whatever. Mm-hmm. She was just this side of me on the art continuum. She was like, you know, she would draw really great stuff as well, but mm-hmm. in a competition, I would be like, just, you know, I would edge her out, I think uh, most of the time, you know, but it's like these strata, right? These yeah. continuums that you yeah. put people on and our continuums were like, five people across instead of like hundreds or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, So you get this like microcosm of kind of what's happening on the macro. Yeah. Um, when did music come into your life? 
Oh gosh. Uh, well, my uh, I was raised Catholic, and I would go to church, and my mom sang. My mom sang all the time mm-hmm. in her house, and uh, she would sing. I think most commonly like hymns, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I would hear her singing while she's washing the dishes at the sink and just doing various things around the house. I thought it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And she would go sit in the choir section at the church, which some would have between like one and eight people in it at any given Sunday, you know. <laughs> uh, and I would go sit with her and then I would sing too. And so I started doing that, I think, when I was maybe five. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just always sang. And then in at junior high, high school, like I took choir, which was also a very small group, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, I just really like to sing. I think I, uh, you know, it's so funny because I'm also like, well, my parents might listen to this right. as well. So I'm like, oh, what should I say and not say? I'm very conscientious, <laughs> conscientious and I love people. And, but also, yeah, yeah, there's stories there. Yeah. It's all stories and they're not true or false. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I did tell my mom when I was maybe like, a freshman in high school, I was like, I, I really like this singing thing. I think it might be something that I want to like do, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and my mom, uh, I think I've told her this before. Her response to me, as seared into my consciousness, <laughs> it was, uh, she was like, "Well, that's really great, Scott. Like, I, but I think you might have more like a like a choral voice." You know, ah. which was like it's hard to hear. Yeah, you know, kind of like taking the knees out. You know. Uh, and I, my context for that, again, it's all stories, right? It's all stories. I carried that for a long time. I yeah. was like, oh, man, there's something wrong with my voice. It's not, doesn't stand out. It's not, like, distinct or something. I just you make up stories, right? I, I mimic, mimicked pop music a lot as a kid sing, singing because yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I was hearing. And my mom really didn't like that sound. Mm. And I remember her commenting on that. And I internalized that as, like, a negative criticism. Yeah. When in reality, she just liked a really pure vocal tone yeah. and not the kind of more nasally... 80s pop, 90s pop that was happening, right? But anyway, the stories, the stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and looking back, um, I mean, there were were repercussions from that, just that little moment, you know, uh, that I could totally wade into. But but really looking back, my context for that now, I don't know what her context was, and bless Mm -hmm. her heart, but the way that I make sense of her saying that to me was that she was saying, um, we live in a small town. Hmm. And the idea that you would have a job where you sing <laughs> is um, completely fabricated. Like, that's not a possibility, you know? And so it may be unwise mm. to say, I want to do this, mm-hmm. you know, as some sort of a meaningful career because that's just not an available option. And, you know, we don't want you to end up living in a car, you know? I don't know if that's her context in any way at all, but right. we. One of the things about stories is that, again, they're not true or false. They're tools. We use them for things. And one feature of consciousness uh, is that we like to try to make sense of things. Hmm. And our sense-making isn't, again, accurate or true or false. It's just the way that we tell a story mm-hmm. to ourselves. Yeah. So my mom, I'm sure, has her own story about that. Uh, but I also get it, you know, like we live in rural Idaho, man. That's not a really good thing. So yeah, uh, maybe I'll kind of nudge you away from that career path. <laughs> right, right. To be more proud. I mean, oh, yeah, this, this, this could be another entire episode yeah. where we talk <laughs> about, um, I had this. <laughs> the way our parents. Uh, yeah, I had this great conversation yeah. actually with, so with my niece, Audrey, um, 
who I hope will listen to this podcast mm. and be a guest at mm-hmm. some point sooner than later because I want to capture that 11-year-old brain <clears throat> right now and then yeah. you know periodically yeah. going forward. Your kiddos as well. Anyway, it's a whole yeah. part of this vision. But um, Audrey recently had the experience where she was asked you know, by a relative, what do you want to be when you grow up? And interestingly, that same week, I asked her the same question. Yeah. But I knew I was asking it in kind of a, a little bit of a, a teasing way yeah. because I don't think an 11-year-old knows what they want to be when they grow up. Yeah, it's kind of... And, I, and I, had, uh, I gave her the context that literally, well, not only have I never known what I want to be, and I still don't know what I want to be, <laughs> but the job I have right now would not have existed when I was 11. Yeah, that's right. At all. Yeah. So the idea that an 11-year-old knows what they want to be or the practical... Like, we're, you know, we're, we're encouraged to... As you know, I remember my mom saying stuff like, you should be a doctor, you should be a lawyer, you know, all those mm-hmm. kinds of, because that's what successful yeah. people did. Yeah. And at some point, I think I thought maybe I should be those things because that's what successful people did. And then I also wanted to be an artist at one point. I also wanted, you know, the, it, I don't know. Anyway, just what we want to be when we grow up in that direction of conversation is fascinating. Yeah. And the influences. And it's all stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's all stories. It's all boxes, too. I think mm. that's, you know, really part of it I, when I when I, I don't like to act, ask that question of children unless it's playful right? yes um, because in a way it's like you're like asking your kid what box do you want to fit yourself into mm-hmm. as, in the future you mm-hmm. know and the kid's like I don't what do you even the, the context for that's so weird yeah you know, it's super it's an adult context yes how do you want to spend your life making money you know? right kids like look I want to you know, draw pictures and play games. You don't want to sit at a computer and look at spreadsheets because that's what 90% of yeah. the workforce looks like. Or perform surgery. Or, or yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah, whatever. I, I, so I let, if a child talks about that, I, it's always for me is like, let them spontaneously generate it. That's yes. great. And you can romanticize and think about boxes of fantasize, and that's beautiful. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who we are becoming is a really interesting and relevant topic in our minds, you know, to, to play with stories around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when I declared I was an artist, like that was me in a way, like being playful, but creating a story. It's a box too. It's a, I think it's a vast box. Right. Maybe I was trying to get out of something because they were, you know, that's what they wanted to hear. It was like, do you want to be a farmer or do you want to be a doctor or, you know? Yeah. Um, Traditional career path. Yeah. And so I was like, I'll just skirt this and say, I am an artist. Yeah. You can figure out what that means yourself. And I'll spend the rest of my life doing that too. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> what does, what, how would you define being an artist in like a sentence or two? Yeah. Sentence or two. I'm terrible at defining anything in a sentence or two. But I know that's I, probably why I added that, yeah. <laughs> that layer of pressure. Yeah. Um, I think that art is a kind of conversation. Hmm. And. An artist is a person who is navigating a conversation about how reality occurs to them hmm. with others. Stop you there, and then we can add, we can re, we can look at that, revisit that. I know there's more. There's always more, but yeah. I like that we can maybe revisit that from time to time. Yeah. Of like what is art, and what makes an artist, and the yeah. stories we tell ourselves, and yeah. Well, I, so can, I mean, can I just kind of, I, so yeah, I'll, I'll say that's my definition yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, and I, I've looked at my life, you know, many times over the past 45 years, 40 years, whatever, uh, 
and thought about what the heck am I doing? Mm-hmm. You know, and one, I think there's a, maybe it's, I think I'm going to do a, an apocryphal quote of Warren Buffett right now. So <laughs> everybody get ready. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's like, he said something like make a list of, uh, you know, 10 things that you really want to do with your life and then cross off all but the top three mm-hmm. or one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how to do it, you know? And I, like, I get that because man, it's so easy to be busy. Right. Sure. Uh, I'm also like, that doesn't work super well for me. I, I, I have, I struggle with that a lot because I do, I do draw. Mm-hmm. Um, Beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that's profoundly meaningful for me. And sometimes I go through, I, I'll go a year and not draw at all, you know, uh, then I'll hit October and I'll draw every single day and it's like a practice and it's structured and it helps me get something out and, you know, move through that artistic conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I want to draw and what do I, how does reality occur for me such that I draw in a certain way? And I'm so curious sometime, and this could be now or <clears throat> a future conversation, but to dig into sort of your more abstract work that I know you for, like yeah. the tattoos that you've yeah. done on yourself, for example, mm-hmm. versus the portraiture versus, I know you're playing around with some other, I think, uh, like iconography, mythological iconography yeah, yeah. stuff right now. And yeah. I'm just curious, like kind of how you approach those differently because they seem so distinct visually when I look at them. Um, if you can, sure. you can get into that or you can continue the path you were going down, but yeah, yeah. well, that's uh, so well, yeah. Uh, Bookmark. You had said in the first one, you and Ryan had talked about how there's no such thing as a tangent. Right. You know? Yes. Uh, and I think that's such a great kind of structural declaration. You yeah. Know? So it goes, it goes where it goes and we have things that we want to say, but we also are like, now here's this. So, so thank you for that. Uh, our brains are filters. Our mm-hmm. stories are filters. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're in our minds, not our brains. Like you can't open up a brain and see someone's stories, but they're definitely in your mind, which mm-hmm. is, seems to have a relationship with the brain in some way. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but as an artist, I'm having an experience of being, mm-hmm. right. And, uh, when I make art, what that is, is a, I'm putting out into the world some, uh, I'm going to say meme, which I'm really careful about because we think memes are pictures with words. Richard on, Dawkins, right? Yes, yeah. that's right. That's right. Uh, but some piece of information, right? An idea, potentially. Yeah. And it's a reflection of how reality occurs for me. And I'm just like, I produced that and now it's over here. It's out there. You can see it and you can have your relationship with it. Um, and I, uh, to go back to that tree, man, like yeah. I, I, I like to, it's fascinating to me to try to put the perceptive experience of vision, you know, through my brain, my processes, my stories and, you know, things crackle and then it runs a signal down my shoulder and into my hand and then I'm holding the stylus, this pencil or marker or whatever and I'm like rubbing a medium onto a piece of paper. Yeah. And it uh, turns into an amalgamation of the ink or the whatever uh, and my perception, the way that the, the... light hits my retina and my brain processes it Mm -hmm. and my stories all of those things create this mishmash that then you can like look at Mm -hmm. to me that's wild Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i drew a tree this time i think in the middle of the month and uh 
and it was different than anything. I, I tried a few different techniques. I worked on a different kind of like a color a piece of paper that I'd used for other things. And I mixed ink with uh, like alcohol ink with uh, paint pens. Mm. And uh, it was like, duh. I think I, po- po- I posted something about this. If I've done my work well, then when you look at this, you will see a tree, you know? Yeah. And that in a way is ludicrous. Yes. Because it's flat. It's right. ink. Right. It's paint. There's no tree there, you know? But it will fire synapses in your brain. Or, yeah. And uh, you will experience tree. I I know I shared a little bit in the last episode about also participating in Inktober. Mm-hmm. And I have my own stories, um, yeah. including <laughs> that I'm a shit drawer <laughs> and I suck at this, right? And that's old, old, old stories. Um, and then I wonder, one, even if that's quote unquote true from someone else's perspective, mm-hmm. who cares? Mm-hmm. And why don't I just put it out there anyway? Yeah. And isn't there benefit to me, for me, uh, of the act of doing it? Mm-hmm. it? Literally, the tangible, tactile, I'm holding a pen, I'm moving through space and time on this piece of paper with this medium, right? Yeah. To do yeah. a thing. And... When do I, I, I because I have no, I have no, I have no attachment to like, well, I'm trying to create the best drawing I've ever created, or I'm trying to, I'm really just playing with a prompt and I'm representing it somehow mm-hmm. on this piece of paper. Yeah. And no one told me this is how you draw a tree. So I've noticed trees is an interesting one as you're telling me this, because I've played around with some different shapes for trees and I've been not trying to have this be a thing where I take a lot of time. Yeah. Many of these drawings are like 30 yeah. minutes or less. And half of it is just me trying to think of like, what do I even, what is uh-oh? Or what is, whatever the, the prompt word is. Yeah. Yesterday was uh-oh, and it took me all day to finally figure uh-huh. out what that was going to be for that day. But I've, I'm, and then I'm noticing how other artists represent a, a tree. Like a tree is a great one because sometimes I'm like, oh, it's just a line and some squiggle marks above it. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a tree and you know it's a tree. And like when I drew a picture of the scene of summer camp. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's a that's a wall of trees. There's just a bunch of trees on the on the land across the water. And how do I want to represent that today? And it could look different tomorrow. And I could spend more time with it, less time with it, more detail, less detail. But you're right. And then at the end of the day, synapses fire. And I know it's a tree, and you know it's a tree. Yeah, yeah. And it gets to go through your your reality filters. Yeah. Yeah. And what a fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. And. It, uh, it's it's fractal. Hmm. So and trees themselves, they're they're you know the the you can go all the way down to the cellular level and you can move all the way back out and there are these leaves and it's a, this uh, macro shaped structure you know. Yeah. But there's also a fractal. It's fract, fractals for people who don't know. Yeah. Is a reference to fractional dimensionality. So it's not like there's one dimension and then there's two dimensions and three dimensions. In fractals, there's uh, infinite. In, in betweens uh, hmm. on all these dimensions, so that's what fractals refer to. Uh, so, like if, if uh, it's it's like maps, right? So you could draw a shape of the United States, and from way way out, you could draw it as a rectangle and be like, "This is the United States," and it's like that's a terrible representation of it. But then you like bring in the coasts a little bit, and you kind of curve down California and kind of kick out. Florida, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, well, this is a more recognizable shape of the United States, right? right? But then you zoom in and you're like, oh, wait, we're going to zoom in on 
the Puget Sound area, and Washington has this little chunk in the upper left corner yeah. where the Puget Sound and the... Uh, the peninsula. And yeah, the, the peninsula. Yeah. yeah. And so now you're getting more detail, right? But then you can zoom in more, and you start getting into the the Puget Sound itself, and you realize, like, oh, there's all these little nooks and crannies, you mm. know, uh, where then little islands in there. And so suddenly you're, like, more and more detail, right? And then you could actually zoom all the way into, like... At the edge of, you know, I don't know, Gig Harbor, right? And you're like, oh, this isn't a straight line at all. This right. isn't even curved. There's like all that. Then you could zoom all the way in to a beach yeah. and be like, oh, there's like a little point where it dips in here and out. So it's like, yeah, there's detail at every And suddenly you're looking at grain, grains of sand. Grains of sand. Yeah. That's right. And even the edge of a grain of sand isn't straight, right? Right. Generally, unless it's crystal silica or whatever. But, but you know, whatever. Point being, you can draw a tree as a triangle. Right. And it's representative. And you can draw a tree with all of this rich detail of all of these leaves and different colors and like light and dark patches and, and sections and whatever. And uh, that is on a richer fractional dimension. Hmm. But in between here and there, like it's never a tree anywhere in any of these. Right. It's purely representative. Yeah. Uh, and you get it represented where you want in the way that you want. Um, something like a, a pet peeve that he said, he said very gently, you know, of <laughs> mine, uh, is that when people say I can't draw, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, or I can't sing and people tell me that a lot. Right. And I am always like, that's not true. Right. Yeah. You absolutely can sing. You know, uh, we had, uh, I said this to a, a actually a child the other day. It wasn't one of my children. It was mm-hmm. a, a, a friend, uh, of theirs that, we were drawing, and he was like, oh, I can't draw. And I was like, actually, you know what? That's not true. Mm-hmm. You, know? you, you, you can draw. Mm-hmm. You can take a pen or a pencil, and you can like rub it on paper and make lines and make marks. Yeah. So you can absolutely draw. Yeah. I think I'm going to offer you, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, he I'll said t- to the, to the uh, what, 10-year-old kid, yeah. uh, what you mean to say, maybe, consider, is that you can't draw in a way that you're comfortable with. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe when you draw, you have feelings that you don't have confidence in navigating. And he was like, huh. He sat down with us and he drew a picture. I love that. It was amazing. Yes. I was like, yeah, I made a difference yes. in the world. Uh, but, you know, that's that's the thing, right? Is I think that there are many artists who are successful who don't draw well. You know, yes. Uh, because again, art isn't being good at a skill. It's a conversation. Yes. And so you can have the conversation however you want. It could be about drawing poorly, you know? Well, and that, that <laughs> is actually what I, for fun, decided yeah. that my writing prompt that I was going to make all these inktobers be was let me fill in for you what I don't think I can visually represent on paper. Yeah. So my Inktober's have all had this piece of writing next to them that's like, but can you hear the sounds in the room? And can yeah. you smell the smells and taste the tastes? And did you did you notice this thing happen behind the scenes that you weren't there for? Yeah. So I'm trying to fill in this picture because writing is my crutch because I love it and it's the thing I feel really like it flows through me. It's yeah. whatever. But I'm trying to let that influence the way I think about drawing because... Exactly. We all can draw. Yeah. And I would even almost want to argue, I hate the word should, but like maybe we all should draw every day. 
And and, and not not the sh- anyway, not the way that no. we our culture. We just should. say there's something for us. There's something for us if yes. we do, yes. regardless of who you are. Yeah, yeah, and sing and paint and dance and yeah, the list yeah. goes on and on. Have these creative expressions that we get to sit with and play with. Yeah, that's really I think fundamentally. <laughs> So the guy who talks about fractals, you know, <laughs> the, the well goes, the rabbit hole goes as deep as you want. But yes. but I think that it could be said that fundamentally it's all about expression, mm-hmm. uh, uh, self-expression. Mm-hmm. In fact. So you have a self and you're expressing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a whole realm over there, too, of conversations to be had. Uh, okay. So I'm going to kind of swing it back around. Absolutely. Right? Uh, so I draw. Yes. Uh, I also sing. Yes. Uh, we touched on that. I also uh, play the guitar and I write music. I write songs. I have a band. You mentioned that as well. Uh, I also write, mm-hmm. like not just songs, but I also write. Sometimes I when uh, sometimes I write spiritualist essays. Yeah. Yeah. I've I read some of them. That's a good descriptor for it. Yeah, and you know, it's really just like you, I suppose we could also just call it a blog. You know, right. which is like too too vague, but. Uh, but that you know, it's just like I wrote a thing, and mm-hmm. here it is, and it's meant for you to interact with it, and so you read it, and it's meant to uh, conjure certain kinds of you know imagery and experiences, and wonder is one of them, awe. Like mm-hmm. try to put that in, arrange the words, <laughs> choose the words such that that isn't occurring over there. I don't know if it succeeds or not, but you know, yeah. So I do all these things. Yes. And to me, it doesn't work to not do them. Hmm. And it's not to say I do them all at once, you know, but sometimes uh, it used to feel like compulsive, like there was a wheel in the sky that had like words and it had like drawing and it had like singing and it had like uh, just sectioned like pies, slices Mm -hmm. and the wheel would slowly turn and I would like be doing what I'm doing and it's really great and very satisfying. And one day like the wheel would kick, you know, switch into the next pie and I would just suddenly no longer care. Mm. I'm not drawing anymore and I'm just now I'm like making music you know and that felt a little bit like oppressive a little bit like I don't have control over this anything mm. like that um, but I just accepted it as well it's okay I'm just I'd like to do all these things you know yeah back to Warren Buffett and the apocryphal quote it may, may have been totally somebody else who said that I don't know but uh, instead of looking at it as like I should stop doing one of the, some of these things uh, and focus and get really good at one of them you know uh, there's that jack of all trades, master of none kind of came up in our conversation. Ryan, it did, it did. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hate that conversation because it's, I think it's it's a way to tell a story, mm-hmm. you know, but it also sells short the interconnectedness connectedness of things. Mm-hmm. You, know? you could say, well, the jack of all trades is a master of none, but you could be like, oh, you know what, the jack of all trades is a master of how things are related to each other. Mm. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. a great reframing. Yeah. So for me, it was like. Maybe I am doing one thing. Hmm. And it occurs as sometimes drawing, sometimes singing or music. You know? So if that's true, it's a supposition and it's a story, right? And so if I tell myself this story, like how does the story occur? Right? So what could I imagine that the one thing is? Hmm. And what kind of what shows up there or what occurs for me, the way that I answer that question is uh, I'm having a conversation. And that conversation doesn't have um, 
language is a tool and language is a technology as well. People don't generally realize this because it's so ambient and it's so fundamental to like our society and culture, human, human experience. But, you know, language was only invented, you know, sometime in a consistent way, like maybe 20,000 years ago, maybe 10, you know. Um, and it just changed and morphed over time. And Yeah. yeah. And in the realm of, of, you know, becoming humans on an evolutionary scale, like 10, 20,000 years is a eye blink. Yeah. Millions, yeah. you know, of years prior to that. So language is a really recent tool. So there's lots of experiences and ways of being that will occur for us as a product of our genetic heritage that the, the tool of language is inadequate mm. to describe. So the thing that I'm doing doesn't have simple or single word reference mm-hmm. at all. But it is a thing. I can use words to kind of talk around it, like uh, has something to do with inspire, right? Has something to do with a, it's a social conversation as I'm having it with other people, and you know they're free to engage in it how they want. <clears throat> but I love feedback, you know. Mm-hmm. I love what your experience of what I created is, mm-hmm. um, and that will affect how I think moving forward and how I create future art so there really is a it is a generative feedback conversation it's not one way mm-hmm. uh, but it but it is a thing mm. and it is a one thing and that's what I'm doing <clears throat> uh, take, take that Warren Buffett maybe yeah uh, and, and the, I mean the reality is that I do get good at these things yeah uh, and I can put myself into an experience like Inktober mm-hmm. where I draw every day when that was first suggested to me, I thought it was outlandish. Mm-hmm. My friends were like, hey, we're going to do this. You want to do it with us? And I was like, what? I maybe do one drawing every two months. Like, mm-hmm. and I have to, like, it's, it's, it's grueling. It's assiduous. It's just, ooh, you know. <laughs> ah. And uh, I can't even imagine that, you know. And so I said no. And I think they asked me again the next year. And I think I said no. And then the next year I was, like, in a different place. And I was like, I'm going to throw my head over the wall. I'm going to just say yes and mm-hmm. we'll work it out, you know? Uh, and it was intense mm-hmm. and it was amazing. And I did it and, uh, it was wondrous and I've done it every year. And I think this is maybe the fourth, fifth year. I think the fifth year, uh, the third year I, I've never used prompts. I yeah. just, for some reason I can't, uh, the box doesn't work for me. You know, and I and I appreciate it. not to even belittle it to say well, it's a box. It's a context. Yeah, and I've yeah. I've actually taken it as a like, that's fine. If everyone else is going to draw this, I'm going to take it and go this totally other direction because it can inspire whatever. But yeah. it's still coming from the prompt for me. But yeah. I, t- I totally I. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all. And that's all okay too, right? I, yeah. So the third year, I was like, I'm going to go one more guy in my brain. You yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to draw a portrait every day. Right. Which I remember that year. Also was outlandish on a different level. Yeah. Uh, I, it's a quick story. <laughs> Is that I had at one point... Uh, well, the, so drawing a tree. I had a compulsion, which was to draw like things how they are. Mm. You know, 
to even like consider removing myself from the process. So I'm actually purely interpreting the impact of the light on my retinas and then putting that on paper. So Mm -hmm. you see exactly what is there. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And I was so, I was so obsessive about it. Mm. I would do portraits and it was, it was painful. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't right, God, the the guy in my brain Mm -hmm. uh, would rail about it. We would just struggle and struggle and struggle. And so the process of creating these portraits was just, I was brutal Mm -hmm. to myself and I, uh, there was no joy. Mm -hmm. There was no good experience in it at all. And I just, one day I just stopped Mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't draw for a while, and then I, after a little while, I picked up sharpies because mm. you can't erase mm. anything with a sharpie. It's a very um, high contrast mark, yes. you know. And so you have to work with what's there. And I entered into this internal art conversation with myself about moving through comfort and like acceptance. Because if you got ink on that paper, man, guess what? It's part of the drawing. I've had that with Inktober. Yeah, I've only done ink. Yeah. No pencil first. It's a little terrifying. It is. It's like, it's on the paper. Working without a net or whatever. But, but also it's, you know, it is about acceptance. It's about, Mm -hmm. about beauty and, and, uh, not trying to change things, Mm -hmm. you know, not trying to fix things as if that's a thing that one can do, you know? Uh, and so I did that for years. I had, I noticed my brain would impose all these rules Mm. on myself, the structures, like, uh, you could if things have to curve in a certain way, and if the curve is too sharp or like too angular, that's not right. Which is utterly ludicrous. It's these are the filters of consciousness, the filters of the stories in our minds that cause you know. And I think that's fascinating. Like yeah. uh, I went the first time I went to Burning Man, I was I had heard a lot about it, you know, and I was in the line to get in, and I was like, this is a very free, open space, and we can get rid of like you know we can live without a lot of the rules that we do in our external world. Mm-hmm. And I would know, I was, so I was drawing and I was actually drawing on my arm and I was on my hand and I was just like, oh, uh, I would notice my brain would impose a rule like, oh, this has to be just right like this. And I would think, huh, oh yeah, brain. And I would break the rule mm. <laughs> and I, in the line to get in, which is a few hours. And I would just like, ended up drawing something like I'd never drawn before. And it was amazing. Oh, that's oh, so God. cool. And that whole burn I did, I would, people come up to me and I would draw just weird shit on stuff on them that I'd never seen before. never, uh, it was, it was radical, you know? Uh, and since then I've been doing lots of fun drawing and whatever. And then, uh, with the portrait thing, I actually was in a coffee shop. Uh, I was going to teach a guitar lesson and I had an hour and I was sitting there in the coffee shop and I brought my drawing supplies, my pad and paper and stuff. And, um, my friend had posted a beautiful photo of himself on Facebook of his face and he was looking in the sky because I think he had just climbed Mount Rainier or mm. something in the photo and I, he was just it was beatific mm-hmm. and I uh, was just like I want to filter this you know I want to run it through my reality filters and uh, so I just sat there and I pulled out a pencil and I and I and I drew it and in, in 60 minutes mm. and I stopped <laughs> at the end and looked at it and was like Holy shit. I forgot that I could do this. Mm. I hadn't actually drawn like this for like 17 years. Wow. That's it had been 17 years. Big time gap. Yeah. I had completely forgot I had the skill. Wow. I, I, I blew my own mind. Yeah. <laughs> 
like, oh my God. And then I started doing it more and it was really very satisfying. And then I created a new relationship with the drawing. So that's not like I'm trying to reproduce reality, you know, and I work primarily from uh, reference photos, mm -hmm. you know, but it's like, what's the point of that? Like if I, if it's already exists in the photo, why would you draw it? You know? And I, you know, you can have lots of answers to that question, but the way that I chose to answer that was I'm filtering reality. You know, hmm. I'm putting something on paper. It's not what is over here. It's going through my stories, right? Hmm. It's going through my sense of being and my sense of meaning and the conversation that I'm having as an artist, which is, doesn't have language, but has something to do with inspiration and love. And I started sitting there when I would draw someone, I would um, let a major chunk of my mind be with how they are occurring, like their their face in the into photo, right? But mm -hmm. I'm looking at what they're the muscles, and I'm looking at their, um, and I'm like projecting mind onto them, and I'm like I, I, everything I know about them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't know. It's a commission work. People I don't know, but I look at them and I open up my heart, and I uh, soak them in this love. Mm this experience of like beauty, whoever you are, however you look, you are a wondrous creature. Mm. And I love you. I'm in love with you. I am so glad that you're here. And I just kind of have this process, this story filter running in my mind as mm -hmm. I draw it. And it uh, was the opposite of what I had before when it was all suffering, torture. Right. <laughs> it was like, this feels really good. Mm. I, I'm I'm loving this person, and they don't know this is even happening. It's a bit of a like a loving kindness meditation. Yeah, that you then get to physically embody doing this act of drawing them. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah, thank you. And that's how that's how I do it now. I'm yeah. just like I am in love with this being. I I want to like capture them, and not like capture them, like, you know, make them small, but I want, it's like, I want to summon them. I want to conjure them. Mm. I want, so then, well, so when someone else looks at the marks I've made on the paper and it hits their retinas and goes into their brain and their stories, they see something that, um, is magical, is mystical, yeah. is, is both there and not there. I keep thinking of like the word essence, like an yeah. essence of the person. Cause you're like, um, having seen a lot of your work, Sometimes it's in the eyes or in the cheeks or in the, it's just little expressive things yeah. that what's fascinating about humans and, and art is someone else could look at that exact same picture and attempt to draw the same thing and it would, the filter would look different. Yeah. And that's beautiful mm -hmm. um, that we all get to have that experience of, of filtering things in our, our own way. Um, but the, the essence, I think sometimes people have used when they comment on your, on your photos every day. Uh, the word likeness, like why you really captured their likeness, mm -hmm. whatever that means. Yeah, um, I like the word essence because it's just that yeah. idea of something that's Essential. not quite. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. also like not yeah. like I don't have a word for it. Yeah, like there's not. It's just there, and you know it if you know the person, and you look at the piece, and you're like, oh yeah, that's that's that person. Yeah, yeah, hmm. and it's. Like I said, it's joy for me. Yeah. It's beauty. Yeah. And that's part of that conversation. So I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm an artist and my art is a filter of reality. Mm. And it can look like a song. And it can look like a drawing, you know. Uh, it can look like a conversation. 
Yeah. And that's where I'm really curious how this medium of the this podcasting. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get a little self-referential sure. for a moment, but like, <laughs> how will that, how will that appear? Yeah. And I think, you know, you, Ryan, and I have discussed now a bit about a lack of being too restrictive, too much structure and letting it really be this free flowing conversation, not limiting it, being okay yeah. with tangents, yeah. permission to speak in first draft, you know, not worrying about um, kind of like actually the, the guy in your brain or however you described it with yeah. the, with the realism and trying to get, you know, this perfect picture portrait done versus let's just see, let, let these conversations flow and see what happens and know that they will morph over time. And we just get to keep having them Yeah, and bringing new people into them. There's something about the conversation and this is from me. Like, I just want to acknowledge that, uh, but it can be what we're doing here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you know, if you want to take it on. So it's like, we, we get to, we get to dictate the nature of our existence. Mm-hmm. I think people feel like that's something that happens to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, life is occurring to me. And I would say that that's just completely inaccurate. You're happening to life. And mm-hmm. so you get to dictate the terms in which that occurs. So there's a whole other conversation here yeah. that, I'm, that I'm not going to get into in a minute, but I'm going to touch on one thing. Like I, I have a thing. It's a whole thing, but I have many <laughs> things. Uh, but it is uh, beauty. So... Beauty doesn't exist in the world. It is a label. It is a declaration. And it is created in our speaking. Hmm. So, uh, personally, I look at pictures of like the, the James Webb Space Telescope mm. photos. And I look at the pillars of creation. And I'm like blown away, yes. just utterly stunned by the beauty of it. And I think to myself, would this be beautiful? Like, is it is it beautiful because it's there? You know, I mean, it's it's gas and dust, right? Just lots of it, just spread out, you know, and light bouncing off of that. And why is that beautiful? Hmm. You know. It's it's really not. It's just stuff, stuff out there floating yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. blowing through space. That's all it is. Whatever, right? So it's not beautiful independently, right? Uh, it takes my well, it takes the James Webb Space to Hubble. You know, technology. Uh, it takes our eyes. Mm-hmm. We can even just look up at the sky. Yes. Right, and when those you know bits of light hit our retinas and go into our brain. We get to, um, we get to filter that mm. experience, and our filters, I think, are meaningful. They're kind of energy, and so what goes through our filters and then comes out is changed. And that's you know what I've kind of been describing here, right? Yeah, yeah. And we get to dictate the terms of that transformation of that Mm. change so one of my fundamental declarations is to see beauty and that doesn't mean to look for it Mm. it means to start with the supposition that everything is beautiful Mm -hmm. and then let it open up whatever Mm. experience i'm having 
into that and say, I get to say, how is this beautiful? Where is the beauty? And not look for it, but say where it is and describe how it's beautiful. The assumption that it is already there. Yes. Yeah. And so it then becomes my mandate to mm. deal with whatever it makes it unbeautiful or not beautiful and kind of let that go and let it be beautiful. Mm. And this is a part of what I'm doing, my one thing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I think that that's something that we can contain here, mm-hmm. you know, and no matter what we create, we can also have it be this. So it doesn't have to be just this or whatever, but like, right. just to be really clear, but we're holding the idea that conversation and with, with anybody, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and the person over there that we're having the conversation with, uh, is beautiful. Yes. From the start. And so when we talk with them or with each other, really what it is is prompting the space to be um, filled with their beauty. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I accept that invitation. Okay. <laughs> I have a feeling Ryan may as well, but I won't speak <laughs> for him. But uh, Ryan, when you listen to this, yeah, let's continue this conversation. Yeah. When there's a spaciousness there, too, because mm. then it doesn't have to look a certain way. No. Uh, it's just we get to, de- to declare that mm-hmm. and then bask in it. I mean, that's the best part about it is that it takes something. It takes a declaration. It takes backing it up. It takes refusing to look away from things that seem ugly mm. and moving through what you need to in order to like create or have it in them occur as beautiful, which sometimes can be very confrontational. Again, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, or, or many. Or many, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But when you do it. Mm. The world starts to just resonate with wonder. There's, I, I, I weep a lot. I mean, even just right now. Because it's, it's like drinking from the fire hose. Mm. Um, and I can't help but feel like that's why I'm here. Mm. You know? And not that that's occurring as a, someone else put me here and that's why I'm here. But like, it feels so good that I'm like, I choose that this is why I'm here. Yeah. And so I'm like going to back that experience up and I'm going to do what's necessary. I'm going to practice seeing beauty. And to me, this is part and parcel of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Mm. Thanks for bringing me in and and letting me be a part of this experience that we're, that we're co-creating. It, it means a lot to me. Thank you for for saying yes, and let's 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 make it happen. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, um, I think that's a maybe a beautiful note to end on. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I don't. I don't uh, yeah, how do we yeah. sign up? It's, it's, it's like another sundown in Fontown. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll talk to y'all soon.